Hello, everybody. Welcome. Once again, as we continue on in the study that we're doing of the New Testament, we're working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. Sometimes we do two if they're kind of smaller chapters like we're going to do tonight. And uh, we've been working through the New Testament. We're about halfway through the New Testament. Two and a half years so far we're in, another two and a half years to go, and we'll be done with the New Testament. Then we're going to tackle the Old Testament. That'll take 15 years, and then we'll start all over again. So please make plans ahead to be here. I want to see you all here through the end of the second time. That's, that's uh, 15, 35, 37 and a half years from now. We'll be done with the second time. So, and then we'll know it well. And then hopefully somebody much younger will start from there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've worked through the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, John, then we did Luke, then we did Acts, and then uh, coming out of Acts now, we're, we're, since we talked about missionary journeys in the book of Acts, particularly with Paul there at the end, we're looking at Paul's letters, and we're taking them more or less in the order we believe he wrote them. We've done First and Second Thessalonians, now we're in the letter to the Corinthians. Remember that Paul is writing back now to churches that he started, and in all those churches he was never really there very long. Uh, Ephesus, he was there for quite a few years, but uh, Corinth, he'd had to come and go, and um, he'd gotten things going, and he'd taught them what he could, and he'd left some folks behind, but the church was a new thing. Uh, and there was lots of questions that came up, and, and especially because each place where they were planted was quite different. And Corinth, we've already talked about, was a pretty big mess, um, full of idolatry, um, a very licentious country. By that, they had a, they, a lot of their cultic practices included um, cult prostitutes of, of all sorts. And uh, it was this whole sort of lifestyle was rampant throughout Corinth. And uh, obviously, some of that mess had filtered its way into the church. It's just what happens. Um, in, in, you know, when you go brand new with something into a culture, there's, there's sort of a mix and they're trying to work it out and figure it out. And they send a delegation to Paul um, with some specific questions. And um, that's what he's been working through. And we've already found out that there were cliques that had developed. There were very strong divisions. He's been dealing with immorality in the church. Now we discovered that there's another division. And, uh, and this one is over a doctrinal issue. And the doctrinal issue that's, that's the big focus of chapter 8, and believe it or not, chapter 9, because they're related, um, is food sacrificed to idols. That's what has sparked a huge problem in the Corinthian church. And uh, it, it may not seem like it's a big deal, but it, it, it basically was splitting the church. And a lot of times church splits are over just this kind of stuff. And, and so they asked Paul to let them know, who was right on food sacrificed idols? Because one group said it didn't make any difference, and one group said you absolutely couldn't have anything to do with it. And so you also have to know that socially, culturally at the time, a very common social practice um, would have been to have meals uh, in a temple or in some place associated with an idol. And um, it was kind of part of the society at the time. And that kind of occasion, whether public or private, would have also been uh, linked normally to some sort of sacrifice. Uh, some sort of animal sacrifice would have been appropriate. And, and so now it's, this starts to bring up issues because um, as believers, to have nothing to do with those people means they would have to totally disconnect from society altogether. 
so that was one issue. And Paul had already told them, and we, we read this, that um, they weren't supposed to not associate with non-believers. Like, just like we're not, so, because otherwise we can't, we don't have any impact. And so that can't be the, the answer. Um, secondly, most of the meat that was being sold uh, in the shops would have processed through this sacrificial system um, because the... Uh, uh, when when uh, animal was sacrificed uh, in in these uh, forms of, of uh, worship, some of that uh, meat that was sacrificed um, would would have gone you know on the altar to to whatever little g god was there. Some would have gone to the priests of that temple, and and some would have gone to part of the worshippers. And the priests customarily sold um, what they couldn't use um, to these shops that it would further sold it to people. And so um, now you, you don't know where the meat has come from, in, in essence. And so the question is, well, what do Christians do? They just cut themselves off from the social environment completely uh, in that um, process? Well, like I said, Paul already said, no, I don't want you to do that. Um, and, and as far as, uh, you know, in their own homes and stuff, should they, should they just abstain from eating meat, become vegetarians? And that's not the answer either in this question. And... What the Corinthians do, both sides, is they're, they're trying to find the truth in this. And actually what they do, it makes sense, they go back to what they believe is the, the source for truth, the Christian doctrines already established, or the, or the Bible that they had at the time, to figure out um, what was right and what was wrong. And they came to different conclusions. That's very possible. Uh, it doesn't mean that... that that there wasn't an issue, it just means people went looking for truth and came up with different uh, conclusions, and, and they were so strong that it had caused division. And so, uh, Paul is, uh, why First Corinthians 8 is so important, and, and 9, is that Paul's going to deal with this issue, and it's extremely important for us today. Because um, it does make a difference. Right and wrong is definitely something that has to be looked at. But, that's not the most important issue. Um, what's most important is that we're to try and maintain harmony by loving each other well. And we're not supposed to let our disagreements, especially over these kind of issues, force us into separate camps. And so, so the right and the wrong needs to be addressed in a way um, where we continue, though, to deal with one another and, and find a place where we can still love one another and care for one another. And people, how is that even possible? And, and what is happened? What happens in the body of Christ when there's a disagreement over truth? And, and so when, when we're forced by our convictions to disagree, and not over things like favorite leaders and any of that other stuff, but over the truth itself, um, how in the world can we preserve love in the midst of a dispute? And, um, what Paul teaches us is a pattern for doing that. How, how we deal with people who don't agree on everything the way that we do and how we still love them as believers. Now, these are like, there are some main things that are main things that you just can't get away from. And, and people might even define them differently, but main things to me are things like the virgin birth, um, that Jesus led a sinless life. That uh, at the time of his choosing, he went to the cross. He died there. He defeated death and he rose again and he intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. To me, those are things that we have to be in, in agreement with or we have a severe issue because those are bottom line basics. But when you start getting to other areas, see, 
the trick is, and the thing is, that when you read the Bible for truth, and, and, and you know, the Holy Spirit has to help us in the process, if you have any sort of leaning one way or another, you'll probably find a way to back it up. Because there's enough truth, we can take parts of things to get enough truth that, that we, we can have some struggles. And what we have to learn to be is, is open enough that we love each other well enough that the Holy Spirit still has room to work in our lives and to teach us all. Because none of us have all this stuff figured out. Nobody's got it all figured out. I don't care how great their doctrine is, nobody has it all figured out. And so Paul really approaches this thing in, in a pretty interesting way, and we can learn, learn a lot from him in that process. So let me uh, hop into 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, eight's only 13 verses. Nine is longer, and you might think that nine is on a completely different subject, but I'm, I'm going to promise you it's not. And, uh, and then we'll talk about them both at the end. So 1 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. You can follow along in your Bibles. I'm reading out of the NIV, or there should be there in your notes uh, if you want to go that way, or whatever translation you have. Verse 1. Now about food, sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, little g-gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little g-gods and many little l-lords, yet for us there is but one Big G God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one, capital L, Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do, I might challenge that, but nonetheless. <laughs> but that's okay. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Paul says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grape? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For as it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox, an ox, pardon me, while it's treading out the grain. Is, uh, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? 
Yet this was written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging, discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those having the law, I became like one not having a law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And blessed be the word of the Lord. I paused there because I thought of something silly. You, you know the best way to win a race? Finish first. Okay. And that was in my brain right there. And yet I push through. Okay. See, I told you, those of you, somebody, some people just started using the listening devices. My jokes are no better when you can hear them. Didn't I tell you? Okay. <laughs> and all this time you thought you'd been missing something. You absolutely have missed nothing. Okay, so the doctrinal issue then is about food that's been sacrificed to idols. And what the Corinthians want to know is who is right. That's the question. And that's also the problem. That's all they care about. Who's right? See, sometimes, almost always, if all you care about in a disagreement is who is right, it's not going to go well. Because there's, there's always more to it. And who is right? Um, I, I hear things all the time. I'm involved in things. You know, the, the thing is that what happens is, let's, let's even get away from a doctrinal issue. In the course of life, when people are disagreeing about something, if you only hear one side of the story, you believe that person is absolutely right until you hear this side of the story. And then you see that there's two completely different takes 
on the truth. Does that mean they're, they're wrong? It just means they're seeing it differently. And, and it can be widely different, what people see in a situation. All right, so you have that, that you have to work just in the natural as you kind of process what this means. But what Paul says there in the beginning, he says, look, in response, um, that, that if you move into any issue from a standpoint of superior knowledge, that's a problem. If you move into any disagreement with the, this thought, I'm right, you're wrong, you've got an issue. Because you'll, you'll never move anyone. See, even if you're right, if that's your attitude, that attitude will keep anyone from ever moving in the right direction that they need to move in. I, I don't know if you follow me, but I hope you do. Um, the, the issue is usually more than right or wrong, and that's what Paul's saying here. And, and that we have to deal with it. And, and it's, now, in a doctrinal issue, which there are many, obviously, in the church, um, the problem is, is that both sides have a measure of truth in what they believe. Because they've gone back and studied the Scripture, and they've come to conclusions that may not line up. You say, how does that happen? It's very easy. It happens on all sorts of issues. And the response generally is, fine, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Or, there's another extreme response, that's one extreme. The other extreme is, well, we just won't have any doctrine. And everything's okay. That's not alright either. It's not alright. Because there's obviously some stuff, like I talked about, I already gave you some basics. There's other stuff that, you know, it's pretty clear. But, but at some point, you, you have to be willing on some of those things to listen and, and love people well enough that you can disagree. And that's a biggie. And it doesn't happen much in the church. You can just disagree. I don't agree with you. But I don't think it's a main thing. So I don't have to agree on every point to have fellowship with people. If we did, we wouldn't be able to have fellowship. We have so many different points of view represented here, we wouldn't make it. We just do. But they're not the main things. On the main things, we have some agreement. And, and so that makes all the difference. But they had taken this issue now, and um, it, had, it had just blown up the church. This one issue, food sacrifice to idols. You think, well, I don't even get it. Well, see, some people had, had realized that um, since an idol is nothing at all, Paul uses that terminology that it doesn't mean anything. This, just because they sacrifice something that doesn't mean anything, that doesn't impact me at all. Because it's not real. The little g-gods aren't real. There's only one real God. That's what Paul's saying. And so, so right is, who cares what they did to it before I got it? I don't care because I don't believe it. And so they're like, we're free to eat whatever we want. Other people who hadn't figured that out yet were, were um, consumed by it and they thought that it was sin. That if you did it, it was a definite sin, it was definitely wrong, and that therefore you shouldn't do it. And Paul sort of backs up the one side to a point, but doesn't give them a weapon because he says, you're right, it doesn't mean anything, but you can't just offhandedly not care about people that haven't arrived to that point yet. See, that's a huge difference in the church. And, and that's what he begins to talk about. And so if we don't get to that point, we'll get stuck in, in our convictions and we'll become just like the Pharisees. Because we'll lose love. That's what you do. That's what you give up to get stuck in your conviction. To get, to get to that point where I'm right and everybody else is wrong, you end up being completely unloving. You can't love out of that point. You just can't. You just get defensive and nobody wants to have anything to do with you. So what do we do? And, and this is the, the, the thing, is that in approaching any issue, 
Rather than focusing on knowledge, not that knowledge is wrong, but rather than that being your focus, you have to focus on love. Knowledge puffs up, makes us spiritually proud. Love builds up. See, the whole thing has to be built on love. We have to love one another. And so when, when you just get so consumed by knowledge, you, you lose grace and mercy. It just disappears. Because this is how it is and that's it. And it's, once that starts to happen, you become a finger pointer and you've, you've just, everybody, everybody stops listening. You might be right, but there's a bigger issue. How do we present it? How do we balance love, mercy, grace, and truth? How do we balance those things? Because that's what people need to have is, is balanced approach. So I'm not saying we give up on our convictions. You already heard me say that. That would be anarchy and chaos. But, but there's a way to approach it in love that people can ultimately hear it. And until they do hear it by the Spirit and they change, you still love them where they're at. It, love is not license for people to sin. You need to know that. Either is acceptance. Because you love and accept someone doesn't mean that if they continue to do something you don't think is right, you're not licensing it by loving and accepting them. You're not. Unless they flat out ask you, what do you think about this? And when someone does that with me, I always tell them what I think the Bible says. This is my opinion. I love you. I accept you. But this is what I think the Bible says about that. And, and you know, you asked me or I wouldn't even brought it up. But if you ask me, well, this is what I think it says. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. Because this, this is just what I think it says, and I can't just say, well, you know, whatever, do whatever you want. But I can love and accept you. And see, that becomes the difference. And they couldn't do that. And so, it has to start by affirming love first. It's the fa- see, because love is the foundation for transforming lives, and that's what this is all about. That's what the, the work of the Holy Spirit is, transform us. That's, that's what sanctification is. That's the whole process. It happens in the environment of love. Not in condemnation. doesn't happen. You know that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Because it's, it's not working. It doesn't come from God. And so we have to... But see, love, as the foundation, transforms people. When you love and accept people, um, the Spirit of God is free to work. And the Spirit of God, see, changes behaviors, attitudes, personalities, values. The Spirit of God does that. Not being pointed at. Never seen it work. So, so there's two sort of approaches. Um, one is a very confrontational approach, and one is a commitment approach. In the, in the confrontational approach, what happens is each side claims to have a better grasp on the truth than the other, which leads to pride, and, and which leads to closed-mindedness and doesn't allow room for the spirit to work. In a commitment approach, each side affirms that they love and accept each other, and in humility remains open to what the spirit has to say about things. And like I said before, none of us is completely right. That's a big pill for some of us to swallow, because we spend a lot of time thinking we're right. I've thought through my theology and doctrine a lot, but I know that I'm not, 100%, I'm not there yet. I don't know anybody who is. So we have to continue uh, moving on in the journey. Now, when, when differences are approached in love, then, um, see, people don't have to retreat from community. But when they're approached in confrontation... It, it inevitably leads in division. It has to. Because there's no room for the process. And that's not what we're called to. And so, it's not that we... It's not that there's not a right and a wrong, because there is. It's just not the main thing. It's, it's can we love each other well enough to sometimes disagree over things that don't... really shouldn't count. 
in the process. They just really shouldn't count. And there's a lot of issues I could go into, and I'm not going to. Now, chapter 9, um, and this is all tying together. That's why I'm not doing it verse by verse. I'm giving you an overview. You can go back and read it, and you'll see how it works when you, when you sort of get this. Um, is totally related to chapter 8. Because it seems like he's changing subjects from, from meat uh, that's sacrificed to idols to the rights of an apostle. That's what you, oh, well, he's changed subject, and he hasn't. What he's doing is using a personal example to clarify what he just said in chapter 8. Because the people in Corinth, the, the one side that believes they have the better truth than the other side and doesn't care about them, um, they're saying because of their knowledge that they have every right in the world to eat meat. doesn't matter where it's come from. I'm not saying anything about eating meat's wrong, trust me, because I'm right now thinking about a steak. Um, and I hope that I'm not offending you. Uh, and, uh, and if it does offend you, I will never do it in front of you, most likely. Um, <laughs> See, it just shouldn't... I have a friend... Um, who's a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, and he used to pastor in Key West. And we hit it off. We got along good. And he, he still, he's gone now to Jacksonville. And um, uh, they don't eat meat. And so we would go out to lunch together. But he was okay if I ate meat. You know, I would say, is it okay? Because he ate tofu. I said, man, I can't eat tofu. I don't know how you do it, brother. I don't think I could stay the course if I had to eat tofu. We'd go to the Chinese restaurant. And he'd have whatever it was. Oh, I'll have the beef and pepper steak, but make it with tofu. I'm like, oh, no. Really? Ooh, it's delicious. No, it's not. It's tofu. I'm sorry if I'm offending tofu eaters, but it's not good. But if I have offended you, come and see me, because I've got to make that right, according to these verses. Okay, now, I'm sorry, I'm way off track. And Andre, if you're watching, God bless you, man. I miss you. Okay, so, he was really in good shape, though, so I have to give him that. All right. So, so these people are using their knowledge to justify their actions and behaviors. And they're not counting in these other people at all. And so Paul then says, hey, you know all that stuff I did among you guys? I have so many rights down there that I never used. I had the rights to salaries. I had the rights to have a wife with me. I had the rights to all sorts of things. But he said, you know what? Because I cared about you more than anything... I never, I never use those rights. I never exercise my rights. Here's the, here they are. These are all rights. You have to agree with me. These are all be my right according to Scripture. I'm, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. This is my right. But because I valued you, I didn't choose to exercise them. And see, that's the heart of these two chapters. What's more important to us as Christians? Our rights or our brother's well-being? What matters most? What do we really care about most? You know, is it more important to us to have a steak dinner or to care about where someone else is at? And then eat that steak dinner later when it's not going to offend anybody. You know what I mean? See, that's the deal. So, so the issue of those two chapters, because this is what I want you to hear, because it's extremely important, isn't right or wrong. It's are you loving well in it. Right and wrong is important, but it's not the, focus, it's not the primary thing. It's are you loving well. Because if you love well, the Spirit of God can move into the issue and change people's hearts and minds so that they listen, that they're open and they go, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I didn't get that quite right. Maybe I need to look at that some more. Maybe I need to try and figure out where you're coming from. 
and, and study themselves. See, that leads to change and transformation by the Spirit. So don't hear me say there's no right and wrong, because there is. There absolutely is. But it, it's not... The most important thing is love, not at the sake of never having standards, because we do. Don't hear me say that either. There are some things that are definitely wrong that we shouldn't do. But we can love and accept people until the Spirit of God convicts them of those things and helps them to change. And that's what we're supposed to do in the process. That's what 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about, and 10 too, when we hop into that. We'll uh, see how that ties in a little bit as well. But that's enough for our meeting today. Thank you for watching and being a part. If you're watching my video, God bless you. Uh, and if you anything we can do for you, you can call us, write us, email us, go to our website, keysvineyard.com, and we'll do whatever we can. But we are going to close tonight here.